So Mark 14, starting in verse 32, is where we're going to be. We're going to read this text together this morning as we get started. Mark 14, verse 32, we're going to be going through verse 42. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. One of my all-time favorite movies is Saving Private Ryan. Raise your hand if you've seen Saving Private Ryan. Basically, if you put Tom Hanks in anything, I'm gonna like it. I I even like You've Got Mail, Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks together. Yeah, anything that Tom Hanks is in, I'm pretty much gonna like it. Uh, And if you remember this movie, Saving Private Ryan, um, one of the most uh, memorable scenes for me kind of happens at the beginning. So Tom Hanks, who plays Captain Miller, he's in the the boat with his platoon. And this platoon in the boat is approaching Normandy Beach on D-Day. And you can just sense, uh, you can just kind of sense the inner turmoil that's going on inside of these soldiers' minds, inside of these soldiers' hearts. It's kind of an odd, kind of an eerie moment as as the boat just like kind of crashes through the waves. There's kind of this odd silence happening amongst the men. And Tom Hanks, you see him kind of take his canteen to get a drink of water, and he can barely even get a drink of water because his hand is shaking uh, so badly. And soldiers, uh, they begin to kiss the crosses uh, that are hanging from their dog tags. Many of them, you can kind of see them praying before they get ready to take the beach. And I was just captivated thinking about this this moment uh, this week, that there is such a Uh, battle going on, but the battle right here in this moment for the soldiers and for Tom Hanks and his platoon was this battle that was going on in their hearts and in their minds. Uh, Bullets had not yet begun to fly, but yet it seemed like this moment for them was almost harder, almost more difficult. Uh, The anticipation kind of had them at a place uh, where they were just rocked to their core, rocked to their core before they get ready to go into battle together. And I believe it's this moment that we kind of find ourselves in here in Mark 14. We find ourselves here in this moment before the bullets are gonna get ready to fly, before the battle uh, becomes physical for Jesus. It's this moment of inner turmoil. It's this moment, I think uh, we see just the deepest insights into Jesus's heart uh, than we see in the rest of the entire uh, New Testament. It's this supernatural, holy, intimate, divine moment uh, between Jesus and his father. And that's where we're gonna be 
uh, this morning. So where are we in this story leading up to this moment in the garden? Uh, it's night, it's dark. If you remember from two weeks ago, uh, all of the families had just participated in uh, their, their celebration feast. So everybody and their families have had their meal. Jesus has just shared uh, his last meal with the, with the disciples when he said, this is my body, this is my blood. And they broke bread with Jesus for the very last time. So it's in this moment uh, that another group is gathered. Another group is gathered in another part of the city, a group of religious leaders, uh, a group of political leaders, and they are forming a plot to come and arrest, a plot that's eventually gonna lead to Jesus' death on the cross. And so here we find ourselves in this olive garden. It's in the olive garden outside of the city walls uh, where Jesus and his disciples are gathered uh, to pray uh, before the men come to get him. And it's in this moment where they're gathered that Jesus, he faces this moment uh, before the battle. The bullets have not yet started to fly, but Jesus in this moment is facing an inner battle, uh, an inner battle that we're gonna take a look at this morning. Kinda wanna see it in three movements uh, this morning. I wanna invite you to see it in three movements with me. One is gonna be this, this moment, this moment of affliction. So if you take notes, this is where you write down affliction. Uh, the second thing is gonna be this moment of petition. So a moment of affliction, a moment of petition. Then we're gonna see this moment of encouragement from Jesus to the disciples. Let's look at this first moment together, this moment of deep affliction. Verse 32 through 34, we're gonna read it again. He went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. I was talking with uh, Josh Soloway, who's teaching over at the cannery uh, this morning, just about this Superman idea we both kind of tend to have of Jesus, where Superman, even though he's getting ready to go into battle, uh, even though he's getting ready to go into a burning building, you know that bullets can't penetrate his skin. Uh, you know that he can hold a burning building up with just one finger. It's this idea that even though he's going into the battle, you kind of know how the battle's gonna turn out. Uh, you're, you're not really scared for Superman and how that movie's going to end. And that's always kind of the view I have of Jesus. And here in this, this moment, in this passage, we're given this picture that we've never really seen before. And we've definitely not seen it up to this point uh, when we've been in our journey in Mark together. And it's this moment uh, that gives us great insight into uh, Jesus and his affliction that he's feeling. It says that he was deeply distressed and troubled. Deeply distressed and troubled. And I think these words give us great insight into this moment. Uh, this word distressed doesn't exactly mean what it means in our modern terms. Uh, in the original language, this word distress actually means amazed or awestruck. And this word troubled actually means astonished. So in this moment, he began to be astonished. He began to be amazed. He began to be awestruck. And it's not a good sense of shock and awe. Uh, it's a shock and awe that leaves him overwhelmed. He is overwhelmed even to the point of death, it says. 
And what was so striking for me this, this week is that we've not seen Jesus like this. We have not seen uh, him handle a, a conflict in this manner. So wh- why was he? Why was Jesus like this? I kept asking myself this question over and over again this week. Why was Jesus in such astonishment to the point of death? Was it because his best friends uh, were getting ready to betray him? Was it because his best friends were getting ready to abandon him and leave him? Was it the fact that he was getting ready to be put on trial and mocked and beaten and spit on? Was it the fact that he was getting ready to die uh, by an awful, terrible death of crucifixion on the cross? And I kept wondering this week, why is Jesus just so at angst inside of himself? I thought about Christian martyrs that have died deaths, where they have been recorded actually singing hymns as they have gone to death for their faith. And I thought about Christian martyrs that have been recorded praying out loud prayers of joy as they have been killed for their faith. And we have Jesus here in this moment uh, who is deeply distressed and troubled. What was it about this moment for Jesus? And the difference between Jesus and other Christian martyrs is that Jesus was not getting ready to go to death a martyr, but a Messiah. Jesus was getting ready to die a death for all. Not a martyr, but a Messiah, which has eternal significance for all of us. So for the first time, he was really beginning to feel the weight of God's wrath, uh, of God's will for how that wrath would be handled. It was in this moment, the weight of bearing sin for all, I think really began to fall upon him. I think his, for the first time, he really began to see what the cross actually meant. And what God was asking him to do was to embrace sin, not as a sinner, but as a bearer for all sin, to take uh, the wrath of God on, to receive uh, divine punishment. And I, I was reminded this week that our struggle uh, is a struggle uh, because sin seems to be so like deeply rooted in us sometimes. This struggle for Jesus was so real because the power of holiness was the only power that he knew. So how could he possibly become the bearer of all sin? How could he possibly take on the eternal punishment of God? And what was overwhelming me this week was just thinking about the level of divine punishment Jesus was about to take. And I know this is kind of weird to talk about, uh, the wrath of God. And I was reminded this week that unless there is this wrath, this real punishment, uh, what Jesus does for us on the cross doesn't nearly have as much significance. So he was about to embrace eternities of wrath. He was about to embrace millions and millions of eternities of hell in this moment. I mean, think about that for a moment. He's not only feeling uh, one person's weight of guilt, of sin. He is feeling millions and millions and millions and millions of people's sin fall upon him in this moment. This is why the struggle was so immense. In verse 34, he says to them, my soul is deeply grieved, which means he was literally surrounded by sorrow surrounded by grief. It means he was engulfed in grief to the point of death. And I 
I've heard kind of people ask this question as I've been studying this week. Does this not kind of show weakness on Jesus' part? Does this not show his lack of obedience to the Father? And I think we would ask another question if we didn't see Jesus react this way. I think we would ask, uh, is Jesus truly holy? Is Jesus truly perfect? This is the only possible response for someone that knew no sin at all to feel the weight of every single sin upon him. This isn't acceptable, this isn't normal. This is the only response I think uh, that's really we need to see in this moment. And if you hear nothing else today, I, want, I really do want you to hear this. We will never have to experience this deep distress and trouble because Jesus has experienced it in place of us. We will never have to experience this place of deep distress and trouble because Jesus has experienced it in place of us. God wants us so badly. He wants us so badly to be with him forever. He's gonna go to these great lengths with his son. And we're gonna continue to see the love of Christ and the love of God for us in this second moment, in the second moment of petition. So let's go along to verse Verse 35, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. What was Jesus's, what was his first reaction in his darkest moment of his entire life, of his entire existence, he goes before the Father in prayer. And I want more than anything, I want more than anything to pray like Christ in this moment, uh, just to be fully open and honest before God, yet also be fully open and obedient to his will. And this is such a hard thing, uh, but I want this more than anything. How honest and real is, is Jesus in this moment? Well, we look, we see uh, before he begins his time of prayer, it says he fell to the ground. Jesus, the son of God, he falls to the ground. He falls on his face. This is not dignified. Uh, this is not planned out. This is not rehearsed. Uh, this is a moment of just honest and passion uh, before his father. And next, we see him address God as Abba. We see him address God as Abba. And I love this picture of God that Jesus gives us. This word Abba, um, it may be better translated uh, dad or papa. It's, it's a term of intimacy. It's a term of trust. It's a term of affection that Jesus uses here for the Father. It's a term that was not used very often in prayers. And one thing I've just been learning this week is that Jesus has opened the door for us by what he does so that we can call God Abba, so that we can know God as dad, that we can know God as, as Papa. And the very next thing he says, he says, everything is possible for you. Everything is possible for you. Jesus, he reveals to us the confidence which with we can and should go before God with, he reveals to us the confidence that we can go before God with. He knows and he states that everything 
is possible with God. Anything that God wants to do, he can. I mean, we're talking about somebody who has walked on water. We're talking about somebody who has raised people from the dead. We're talking about somebody who was with God at the very beginning of time when he saw God form the very earth that he was standing upon. He knew everything is possible with you. So what does he ask? He says, take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. And this cup um, is better kind of translated. Uh, Take this moment of just impending affliction. Take this moment from me. Got lost in my notes. Just bear with me. This is cool. I probably need to like cut the attention in the room anyway. Take this cup from me. It means this terrible impending experience. The concept of the cup, it often just represented someone's uh, destiny, someone's future. In fact, the Old Testament um, would often refer to the wrath of God as uh, the cup. And so, just like we learned a little bit earlier, uh, Jesus is saying, take this from me. Take the weight of eternal sin from me, God. And the very next thing that he says is really unfathomable. He says, yet not what I will, but what you will. Nine words, yet not what I will, but what you will. Nine words that just give us this incredible picture of obedience to God. Nine words that give us deep insight into Christ's love for us, yet not what I will, but what you will. In a moment of honest and passionate petition, we see God's deep and passionate love for his people. His will to obey the Father demonstrates his great desire to ultimately serve the people he came to save, you and me. It's also in the midst of this agonizing struggle that Jesus is still thinking about the disciples. That has just blown me away this week. In his darkest moment, he's still thinking about the disciples. He goes back to them three different times. So let's go to this kind of third moment, this moment of encouragement here in verse 37 through 42. Verse 37, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting enough? The hour has come. Look for the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And we know that Judas is coming with that group that was plotting, uh, plotting to kill and arrest Jesus. So we see here that this hour of danger is not just for Jesus. I'm sure it's a far less um, and a far less extreme danger, but we see that this uh, holds danger for the disciples. You have to remember just before this on their walk to Gethsemane, uh, Jesus was letting his disciples know, hey, you're gonna disown me. 
One of you is going to betray me. Uh, you are all going to scatter. You're going to leave me completely abandoned. And of course, the disciples say, no, no, we, we, we would never do that. So the very next scene, Jesus says, stay here and pray. What do they do? They fall asleep. You would think that there is not a greater time for them to go to the Father in prayer. Uh, the only one who can give them strength for what Jesus had just warned them about. But this, I mean, this is not just the disciples. I was just seeing myself in this over and over again this week. Just how my tendency so often is uh, when I see something tough coming, uh, when I see something hard ahead or when I see something uh, maybe I want to avoid, rather than going before God in prayer about it, uh, my tendency is to kind of draw back, to shrink back, to find a way to avoid uh, what's up ahead. And Jesus, who knows the disciples so clearly, he says to them, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's this reminder that trusting and obeying God are not this just natural reaction. As followers of Jesus, it's an ongoing struggle against temptation and weakness. So he reminds the disciples in this moment of encouragement, stay awake, stay alert, be prayerful. It's these moments that you need your father. And so we've seen this moment of affliction, moment of deep affliction with Jesus. We've seen this moment of just petition, honest and passionate uh, petition before God. And then we see Jesus in this moment also just give encouragement uh, to his disciples. So what can we learn from Jesus about what it looks like to live a life fully devoted to God? And I just, when I kept looking back, I saw three things in Jesus. One is gonna be to come, just come to him. Two is gonna be to surrender, and three is gonna be to trust. Come, surrender, and trust. And I think this is our invitation uh, this morning when we look at this story, when we look at what Jesus is getting ready to do for all of us. He shows us this perfect picture of what it looks like to live a life fully devoted to God, to come, to surrender, and to trust. So in moments of affliction, in moments uh, of darkness, I, I think my tendency is to kind of get everything under control, kind of figure everything out, at least to some degree, before I come to God. And Jesus, he says, no, 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 no. He says, I just want you to come just as you are. Come just as you are, whether you feel like you were in good graces with God or you feel like you are far from God. I want you to just come to God as you are and come honestly. God is not looking for uh, this well thought out prayer. He is looking for your honest and real conversation what an amazing God that he wants our just honest and passionate petition. How amazing is it that God and Jesus opens up that door for us? And the second thing is surrender. We see Jesus surrender. And I kind of kept asking myself this week, what happens when God's will tends to contradict my way? or when, when God's design contradicts uh, my desires, what is it that I'm going to do? And we see from Jesus, the very best thing that we can do is just surrender. Surrender it all. Allow his will and his way to overcome 
our will, and our way. I know often my tendency is to think, oh, I can't talk to God about this, or I can't give God that thing. Whether it's a relationship, whether it is a career, whether it's looking to the future, whether it's a family situation or an addiction, Jesus, he gives this picture of what it looks like to come to God honestly and openly and to surrender it to him, whatever it might be. And the only way surrender is actually uh, possible is if we believe and trust that God is good. So we're not gonna surrender if we do not believe uh, that, that God is good and that his will is actually going to uh, cause us to prosper. And Jesus, once again, Jesus is our example of what it looks like to come, to surrender, and to trust. Our Lord always wins for us. Jesus always wins for us the opportunity of what he suffered for. So he was bound so that we could go free. He was made sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He died so that we could live. He bore God's curse so that God's blessing could be ours. He endured God not answering his prayer in this moment so that our prayers could find an answer. So his invitation is come, surrender, trust. What Jesus has done has given us a path, an opportunity, an invitation to a life that is not possible without him. And so as we sit around the table this morning, as we sit around the bread and the cup, I just want us to kind of ask these questions. No matter where you are on your journey, where is it that you just need to come to God? Fully open, fully honest. What is it that you need to surrender? And do you trust? Do you trust God? I just want to invite us to kind of wrestle with those questions. What is it that we need to come to God with? What is it that we need to surrender to him? And do I trust him? Do I trust him? Let's pray together.